Hey guys, welcome back to the All In Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike Badzik. I'm here with my other co-host, Eli Cooper. What's going on today, Eli? Not much, man. How's it going? Not too bad. We're back again. Episode number two. Uh, first episode, you guys definitely showed some love. We appreciate it. Everyone who's sharing it and uh, hopefully telling your friends and engaging with us on Twitter, letting us know your thoughts. We really appreciate it. Uh, let's. We want to keep that going and have a lot of engagement with you guys as we go so you guys can tell us what you want to hear us talk about and, and steer our conversation. Um, so today we're back. Um, we definitely, we're going to touch on the MJ doc. Uh, episodes five and six of The Last Dance premiered on Sunday. We definitely want to dive into those and talk about uh, Jordan's gambling and his um, comments about Republicans buying sneakers as well as talk about the Knicks rivalry. Um, and some of those early, the first three-peat Jordan teams. After that, we want to talk about uh, a chance of KD coming back for a postponed NBA playoffs. Um, there were some murmurs about that. We want to dive into that and see what's going on. Then we're going to talk about some of this NCAA and NBA G League stuff with some players, Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd particularly, committing to play in the NBA G League next season rather than college basketball. What are the effects of that? What are the effects of the NCAA changing some of their rules for players to be able to profit off their likeness and image. Um, and then at the end, we're going to play a little game um, called Start One, Bench One, Cut One. I got that right, Eli, yeah. right? Okay, Start One, Cut One, Bench One. We're going to do it with um, Magic, Johnson, Steph Curry, and Isaiah Thomas. Uh, but we'll save that for the end. So we want to start with this MJ doc. Um, one of the big things that, that happened in the MJ doc and what everyone was talking about um, was particularly the first thing was this re Republicans buy sneakers two thing. Um, so, so just for some background, in the 1990, it was a U.S. Senate race, North Carolina, where Jordan's from. Uh, you had a black Democrat, Harvey Gantt, running against a longtime um, seat holder and Republican, Jesse Helms. Helms was a known racist. Um, we, can, we can say that pretty definitively. Um, and people were hoping Jordan would kind of come out and support Harvey Gantt publicly and support his campaign and he did not come out publicly and do so he he had said he made a donation i don't know i mean that isn't really confirmed but you know he said he does that um people who had written books about jordan um in the second coming book by sam smith he mentioned that jordan the reason he didn't make a public statement for harvey Gann is because quote republicans buy sneakers too uh in a ploy Kind of, he, he's saying he doesn't want to upset Republicans because he's making money off them and they're buying his sneakers. Um, you know, Jordan has received a ton of backlash for this, really for 20, 20 years now, or almost 30 years, I guess. Um, they denied it for a long time. He denied that comment for a long time. But on this documentary, when they asked him about it, he did come out. He did say he made the comment, although he did say he made it in jest, kind of a, a joking manner. So interesting enough, like, in the documentary, he's quoted, you know, they asked him about why he, he didn't come out for Harvey Gant, and he quotes, said, quote, I never thought of myself as an activist. I thought of myself as a basketball player. I was focused on my craft. Was that selfish? Probably, but that was my energy. Um, so, Eli, I'll dump it to you now. What's your opinion? What do you think he should have done more? What's what's your overall thoughts about the whole Republicans buy sneakers to comment and, and, and idea? Well, um, as far as the comment 
specifically goes, and I and I, it sounds like a joke. I, I'm and I'm going to take him at his word that he said it jokingly. Sure. Um, but if there was, uh, there's people say there's there's truth behind every joke, right? Um, so you know, there's obviously a little bit of that that he means, and uh, to address that specifically, uh, Republicans were hardly. Um, his main core base for his sneakers, you know, <laughs> right, right. That's the, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it was. I mean, the, his demographic, as far as his shoes goes, was largely the African American community, and I actually think he would have did much more help to his brand speaking out on that situation than he would have heard it as far as shoe sales go. Right. Now, if you want to talk about his future, like ownership of teams. Yeah, he might have a point there, but when you talk about the sneakers mm -hmm. in general, I don't actually think that that would have had a very large impact on his sneaker sales. The other thing I want to point out is he did acknowledge that he wasn't knowledgeable um, about the topic, which is the main reason he didn't speak out about it um, and only sent a donation. Uh, and my thing is, I, I, I fully support people who will not share their opinions on topics that they're not educated about. That is absolutely something that more people need to do. There are a lot of people out there, especially in today's day and age with social media, sharing opinions that they have absolutely no education about the topic that they're giving these opinions on. So I, I fully understand that. But here's my problem. Every black person, unfortunately, has, um, has to be more socially aware than the average white athlete or white person has to be, to be completely honest. And, and the reason is because, you know, black people have gone through 400 years of oppression. So anytime you don't speak out against it, you empower it. And in this case, with someone with the platform that Michael Jordan had, he had a tremendous opportunity to do a lot of good in his home state, in his home community, by just by speaking out and also making a donation. He didn't have to say much, but just show your support. And in my opinion, this is a, this was a no-brainer. This was a easy home run for him to come out and and show support for Harvey Gantt. He didn't have to, you know, speak on his campaign or or um, you know campaign for him like Cardi B's doing for Bernie Sanders. No one was asking him to do that. Like just right. come out and say I support Harvey Gantt running for you know the Senate in my home state and endorse him. That's that. It's, it's probably dead right there. I mean, you're talking about him running against an obvious and known racist. There's no, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? In the long term, there's no downside to that. And as far as him making one simple statement about it, I mean, obviously you're going to get backlash from Helm supporters. Uh, but where with where, you know, social justice was moving at that time, you know, I think he, I think he would have been fine, to be honest, to, to support it. And. And that's honestly, that's that's a political race that he didn't need to be super um, informed about. And me personally, if someone brings that to me, like, you know, there's a lot of Senate races that I'm not informed about, and that's fine. But if someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, in PA, there's this black governor running against this racist gun, you know, governor or whatever, senator or whatever, you know. Seems pretty the easy. The first thing I'm going to do is look into it. You know what I mean? And, right. and get some kind of information. Maybe I don't do a, the entire research on his platform, but I hear that a black guy has a chance to defeat someone someone who's been holding that seat for a while, who's a known racist. I'm going to do at least a little bit of research and do whatever I can to help that guy get in office. 
even if it's even it's just making it even if it's making a simple statement and a donation and that's and that's it that's what i'm going to do and i think he missed a big opportunity there um and to be honest i i think he was he was a coward about it i and i i know it's a strong word to use uh, but i i thought his actions during that time were cowardly he denied the republicans uh buy sneakers to comment for a long time until now in yeah. his documentary and you know i i i do commend him for speaking his truth eventually but um this is long overdue for him to speak out on this issue and say that he at least got it wrong at the time because everyone makes mistakes uh but it's it's been 30 years that you're just now admitting that that you know, point you you kind of either messed up or or made a mistake in that time, and he he didn't actually really acknowledge it as a as a mistake. He just finally acknowledged that he made the comment. Um, so right. I was disappointed, kind of. Um, but I I know a lot about Michael Jordan as far as far as a, from a fan's perspective. So it wasn't really anything that I was expecting. He's never been the type of person who speaks up for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been the kind of guy that sits a fence. Um, which is disappointing, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So definitely you just, it's one of those moments where and the documentary is feeding into it too. Cause it's like this Jordan guy is perfect in a way is kind of how we're portraying him. And we'll talk about this later too, with the, with the gambling issues, but he, he leaves you wanting more with this whole thing. And, and Harvey Gant came, he actually does not blame Jordan for losing that race. I mean, he lost by about 6%, 100,000 votes or so, I think. So I'm not sure that Jordan would have pushed him over the edge. I mean, this was 1990. You know, Jordan hadn't won a championship yet. He didn't have the night. He wasn't the 92 Dream Team superstar. You know, I'm sure that he definitely would have helped, and it definitely was a huge mistake not to come out and say something. You know, the thing is, too, before Jordan this is what top athletes did. They spoke up um, as activists. You look at guys like Bill Russell, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they all were very vocal and active in the community and and trying to help in ways that they could using their platform to the best of their ability. And when you didn't get that from Jordan and then he makes comments about Republicans buying sneakers too, it just looks, you know, you hate to use words like sellout and stuff, but I mean, it just looks bad when he's do it I mean it is what it is that's what he did I don't know if it was truly him saying you know we'll never know if it was him calculating and thinking this isn't good for my brand or if it truly was I don't know that much about politics I don't want to step in this because I'm uneducated on it I think that's okay if that's the answer but you know you definitely if you take that as the answer, you're left with, well, then educate yourself because it's important. Exactly. You know, it's not it's not like this is somebody running for school board. This is a Senate position, and we have a known racist. Um, Jesse Helms, I, he called the Civil Rights Act like the worst thing ever, basically. Um, so it's not like this was up in the air whether or not this guy was who we thought he was, which is a racist. So... You definitely you want more out of Jordan, um, but that kind of lends into, as I said, like the gambling issues too. Where he's not perfect, he he makes mistakes. Um, we saw in the documentary. You have anything else about 
that comment before I start talking about gambling? Yeah, yeah, we can we can get to the gambling. Okay, okay. So, you know, they show there's just relentless card games, every plane, every night, um, other players, before playoff games. He's always playing cards. He's always got a game going. They showed him flipping quarters with the security guard and losing, uh, and the security guard maybe won the episode when he gave him the shrug. Yeah. Um, there were stories he owed a guy named Slim Bowler, which don't gamble with guys named Slim, <laughs> uh, just a tip. He owed him over 57000 for golf games. Richard Esquinaz, is his name? Esquinaz, I think I got that. He wrote the book, Michael and Me, Our Gambling Addiction, where he claimed Michael owed him over $1.25 million um, for golf. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But, you know, and Jordan, he makes the case and he says, well, I'm not a gambling addict. I loved, I loved his argument, which was, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. So, you know, just retweet on that. That's, that's, that's everybody. But... <laughs> You know, he, he he says I don't have a gambling problem, but he has all the same excuses as someone who does have a gambling problem. Well, I'm not going broke. I, my wife isn't, you know, going hungry. I must not have that big of a problem. You know, it's kind of like, you know, once we deem someone crazy and then they tell us, well, actually, no, I'm not crazy. Then we say, oh, well, must have got. it's worse than we thought, you know. When you're a gambling addict and we say, oh, you have a gambling addiction, and you say, no, I don't. You say, wow, you don't even realize it's an addiction. It must have not been that bad because he's currently worth about $2 billion. So I think he made out okay. Yeah. Um, what's your overall thoughts of the whole the gambling stint in Michael's life? Well, he absolutely has an addiction. <laughs> I don't care what he said. <laughs> uh, I mean, God, he was gambling in Space Jam. <laughs> At the end right, of the third right. quarter, he uh, raised the stakes on the game. I mean, it's, it was a, it's a huge part. I mean, you're gambling till whatever he said midnight reports had him out till 2 30 but whatever time you're out gambling in the middle of a playoff series that you're at that time losing that's bold yep. that's addiction right i don't know what else to call that um and i and i would bet to this day that he still gambles more than the average person does um sure and you. you know i get it he claims he has a competition problem but you can literally compete in other ways that don't involve right. <laughs> you can you know play an amateur golf tournament if you love golf that much and you want to be competing you can you know or just compete to you right. know with your your buddies on the course see who gets the better number mm-hmm. like there, it does not have to involve an exchange of money True. so he absolutely has a gambling problem uh and yeah. me personally as a as a teammate at the time i think i would have had a a problem with him out gambling in the middle of a playoff series. Um, but if he showed up the next game and was typical Michael Jordan, then I'll be like, eh, you know, you know it's probably okay. But, you yeah. know, it's, um, it's, it certainly sounded like an addiction to me. And I was trying to give him the entire time they talked about, it, I was trying to give him the benefit. Of the doubt. I was waiting for that, him to say something that would like make me ease, you know, or, or kind of, you know, lean his way on the, on the argument. Mm-hmm. And he just sounded more and more like he had a problem. He's like, cause I can stop at any time. Isn't that like what every addict says? Like I can stop at any time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the thing is too, like if you, if you say, I don't have a gambling problem, I have a competition problem. Well, if you have a competition problem, you don't really need to gamble. Right. Because I'm, because if we're playing for a dollar or if we're playing for a hundred dollars, I want to try to kick your ass. And I you know, I would have thought that that was his personality. Maybe he liked to throw something. Maybe that's just his confidence on himself 
in anything he does, even golf, which in the early 90s, he wasn't great, but um, he just had that confidence on himself. Maybe it's maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it just shows that he was this guy who believed in himself. I don't know. I can't really spin it into a, a huge positive. I don't think it ruins his image, though. I don't think there's anything inherently terrible about gambling um, money that you, you know, I mean, the dude was super rich. Like, he clearly turned out fine. You know, if he wants to gamble on the side, I don't really care. It definitely ruins his, uh, it taints his brand, though, um, especially when he's trying, he's a global figure. I mean, he, he's, the average person might know three basketball players, and he's one of them. Um, and, and his whole brand is be like Mike. Well, I mean, I don't know if I want my kids to be like Mike if, if Mike owes Jerry a million and a half bucks because of the golf course. I don't know if I want my kids to be like Mike. So it definitely hurts his brand overall. I don't have a huge problem with it personally. Um, you don't have a huge problem with it, or, or what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, it's not it, – it obviously wasn't, you know, a, a huge, huge problem where it was, like, bankrupting him. So, I mean, right. it's kind of a no-harm-no-foul situation. Um, and, and you hope it never, uh, gets to anything much worse, obviously. Um, but I don't, it doesn't seem like it's a huge issue that we'll have to deal with. So it's, it's a minor, you know, thing that was said, that was said about it. It seemed to bother him a lot though. It did. And it, maybe he just thinks that it really wasn't that big of a deal. And I don't know, like typically people who do have really bad addictions, they eventually look back at it and say, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? So, I mean, if he's still looking at it that way, I don't know, maybe that's just his personality. Where it does become a bigger problem is, like you mentioned in the playoffs, where he's out till 2 in the morning um, in Atlantic City in 93 before the Knicks game, game two, which they did lose the next, that, that game. Uh, and it, it 100% affected his play. I mean, I guess you can't for sure say that that's what affected his play. But they lost game two and went down in the series 0-2. And then they went back to Chicago for game three. And they won that game. But Jordan was just – he was 3 of 18 from the field. I mean, he played bad. He clearly was not himself the first three games of that series. Um, and then he, of course, kicks it on and, and they win the next three. And they go and they beat the Suns in the finals. So it doesn't really matter. But, you know, it clearly had its effect on him. And, you know, overall I think I'm not terribly – I'm not terribly upset over it. I don't really care that much what players do off the court if they are there on the court and they, you know, perform. When it messes with the performance, then we start to have a problem. Uh, but let's stick with the Knicks rivalry we talked about. I just talked about that 93 series. So this was, for me, the best rival for the, for the Bulls in their era of winning championships. I don't think anyone else consistently competed with them like the Knicks did. Uh, in 91, so just to, just to run down quick, 91, the Bulls swept them. The Knicks were the eight seed. They sucked that year. But then in 92, um, it went seven games. One of only two series that went seven games for the Bulls when they won their – they had the six championships seasons. Um, this series went seven, and then in 98, they the Pacers took them to seven. That was the only time they went – times they went seven games. And then in 93, like I said, the Knicks went up oh, – t- Knicks went up 2-0, and then the Bulls won the next four. Um, game six was the famous Charles Smith. Four four times he got stopped in a row, and that was the Atlantic City Series. And then in 94, 
Michael was gone. He was playing baseball or whatever, and the Knicks actually beat the Bulls. That was actually one of the best series too. I watched. So you know, like we weren't from that era, but I do get, to, I do through the powers of YouTube get to watch some games sometimes. So game three, um, this was after Jerry Krause went and got Tony Kuko. Game three, Phil Jackson drew up a play for Tony Kuko to take the game winning shot. Scottie Pippen actually refused to go in the game because he drew it up for Tony. And then Tony hits the game winner. Um, so it's just a great rivalry. You know, you had the Phil, Phil Jackson and Pat Riley, which, you know, obviously two of the best coaches ever, but they also played against each other. So that's a huge rivalry. What's your what's your thoughts on the Knicks rivalry? What do you think about that part of the doc? Um, well, to me, it, it kind of looked like they were trying to make the Knicks, um, you know, look like the, the Pistons uh, or try right. to recreate that kind of rivalry and the issues that Jordan had with them. Uh, but to be completely honest, I don't think that they were ever truly a threat to the Bulls. They were they were very good for that era, uh, but I don't think that they were. I don't think they were truly a threat. They would give the Bulls problems, and I think it was mostly because the Bulls didn't take them as seriously as they did other you know other teams that they faced in the playoffs mm. after what they had went through before you know they had ever won a championship. Um, you know, when you go back and look at it, especially in that 93 series where the, the gambling thing happened, they were down 2-0 uh, when, when the whole controversy with Mike right. going out gambling. And then he turns around and – or they were down 1-0, I believe, and then went down 2-0 and then won four mm-hmm. straight. So it's kind of like they, they flipped the switch and kind of just turned it on. And the Knicks really tried to use the same formula that the Pistons used with, uh, you know, the – hard fouling and, and physical defense, a lot of the trash talking and stuff like that. And to me, when I see things like that, I to me it's um, – to me that looks like you're trying to uh, compensate for the fact that you're not as good as the team that you're playing against. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, that's just, mm-hmm. and that's just truly what it was. Um, even the Pistons, they, they couldn't – even though they were beating Jordan, they couldn't actually stop him. So they're, what they went to was the Jordan rules where obviously it was more than just beating him up when he came into the lane, but that was a part of it. They wanted to make him feel, and they knew nobody else before Scottie Pippen you know, developed into an all-star. Nobody else was really going to be able to help him out. So if they could you know, make Jordan as ineffective as possible, then they could win that series. Uh, but eventually it, it stopped working. As soon as, they, as soon as Scottie Pippen became an all-star, Michael Jordan spent a lot of time getting stronger. It was over for the Pistons. It wasn't even close at that point. And that's kind of the proof right there that when you have to result to that kind of aggressive defense, it's because you're compensating for the fact that you can't get the stops legitimately. Uh, so, and I get it. That was, you know, in that era, that was how people thought, let's just be more physical, throw these guys off somehow, uh, some way. Um, but it wasn't to me, I, th- I think the documentary kind of overplayed the rivalry a little bit. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, those two teams went at it a lot as far as like the verbal back and forth on the court, um, because they were competing. But I think, you know, I, the Knicks never really stood a chance. They're, like no one really ever believed that the Knicks had a chance at beating the Bulls in the playoffs. Right. And that was the thing too. Like you look at when it, you know, my paper says Knicks Bulls rivalry. And, you know, you kind of have to beat them once to be a rival. Exactly. You can't lose every time that Jordan's there. I mean, when they won when, when Jordan wasn't there. But, you know, if he's, he's not there, can we really count that in the rivalry? Right. Um, you know, yeah, they wanted to be the Bad Boy Pistons 2.0. 
Pat Riley knew that they couldn't stop Michael from scoring, so they decided to just try to beat him up, similar to what the Bad Boy Pistons did. Um, but you were exactly right. It, it stopped working for the Bad Boy Pistons for a reason. Scottie Pippen developed, and Michael Jordan got a lot stronger. You know, I. it's funny because, like, I watched the the 92 Game 7. And, like, these games, like, they kind of remind you of college games almost today or maybe even, like, maybe 10 years ago more like, where, like, every possession is a struggle to get a basket. Like, if it, if a basket is scored, not so much for the Bulls because they had Jordan, but if a basket is scored, it's, like, it's something on the court. Like, I think nowadays baskets are scored all the time and there's so much space, the hand checks aren't there. There's not so much, like, grueling work to be done when you're trying to score on offense. Like, here, like, you can just tell every possession is just draining mentally and physically. I think, like, that's why people that liked the game back then, they, like, there's a big demographic who are like, I don't like the NBA anymore. I only like to watch college basketball. Well, like, yeah, like, that's probably because, like, one of two reasons Either you think that threes are stupid and the point of basketball is to go shoot twos, or you think that it's no longer an occurrence, it's no longer a significant event to get a basket anymore like it used to be. But, like, you know, you watch college now. Like, my college team is is Pitt, and, like, Pitt never really has any superstars, but I like watching them play because that's my college team. I always root for them. But, like, when they score, they have to work hard to get a basket, like, I feel like NBA players now, like, they don't have to work near as hard. And this goes to, this is a testament to Jordan, really, because it was so easy for him in a time where it was really hard for everybody else. Um, and this was, this was huge, too. This, the 1993 was huge because Michael got uh, the three-peat. So then, so, like, that's why kind of the Atlantic City thing was big, too. So it's 93. The, the Knicks go up one game and then before game two Michael goes out and the Knicks win and the Knicks are up 2-0 and it becomes a huge thing because not only you know did they lose and they're down 2-0 but it looks like that the Knicks might actually beat these guys um you know Michael he had a bad game three but then after that he was great and then he of course won the finals after that but then he gets the three-peat and the three-peat's huge because Bird, Magic, Isaiah they didn't get the three-peat um, LeBron has not gotten a three-peat. The Warriors teams didn't get a three-peat. None of the Spurs teams got a three-peat. Really, the only other one in the modern kind of era was the Shaq-Kobe team. Um, and, and then Jordan did it again later. So just another thing to to Jordan's resume. He got two three-peats, really, when that's, that's so tough to do. Yeah. Um, and like the Knicks, I think another reason that we perceive them as better than they probably were is like, the Celtics were the top dogs, and then the Pistons were, like, beaten on their door, right, for, like, how many years? And then finally they got over the hump, and then there came the, and then the Pistons were the team, and then the Bulls came knocking at their door, didn't beat them, but then eventually they got over the hump. And then people, when the Knicks came, people were kind of thinking, like, oh, maybe they're the Knicks. They're knocking at the Bulls' door, and they're going to get over the hump. And um, Jordan just kind of closed that door real quick, and it never happened. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you about the Knicks probably not being as good as maybe we remember, but it was a fun rivalry just because it's so physical. But anything else you got on, on the on the Knicks rivalry? Not yeah, not necessarily on the on the Knicks rivalry. Um one thing I do also um 
that I just thought about uh, that also happened in the documentary um, was they did touch on the Barkley uh, and the Suns playing against the Bulls in the finals. And obviously, like, Twitter was... Twitter went heavily at Draymond Green because, you know, he's had his beef with Barkley. Right. Okay, let's just clarify something. No one in their right mind actually thinks that Draymond Green is better than Charles Barkley. But what else is what else is Draymond supposed to say? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, he, this guy verbally attacks him every night. What else is he supposed to say? You know what I mean? Like, come on, guys. Like, he, he's obviously going to defend himself as a player. Right. Uh, you know, so what else is he supposed to do? I agree. And it's not like he said, like, Charles couldn't score like me or whatever. Like, he right. said, like, I have, three, I have three rings. Charles has zero. That's basically all he said. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not going to just let Charles say whatever he wants. He's a, he's a grown man competitor. Obviously, though, he's not as good as Charles Barkley. But yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And the Portland series was cool, too, with the whole Clyde. Um, Magic Johnson told the story about they were playing cards the night before, and Jordan's like, I'm going to give it to this dude. Because, um, you know, people were comparing Clyde to Jordan, and Jordan put an end to it with, you know, he came out, I think he averaged like 41 that finals. Something crazy like that, yeah. It's, it's insane. It's insane. So, all right, that's it for the Jordan Doc. You got anything else? Yeah, that's all I have for the Jordan Doc. All right, let's move into some current-day NBA stuff. Um, there is possibility, according to next the Nets GM, uh, Sean Marks, that KD could actually return if the playoffs are pushed back far enough. Um, so it looks like right now probably it wouldn't happen, but if we're talking like, late July, early August, it is a um, serious serious question whether he could. Uh, I just want to read some of the quotes from him in this because uh, I think it's interesting the way he talks about it. Um, so when asked about it, he said, in all seriousness, we've tried not to talk about the timeline. He knows his body better than anybody. Um, our team's done a great job getting him to this point. I just don't know how coming out of this pandemic will affect anybody, let alone Kevin. Um, he and he goes on. When you've got enough invested in a player like Kevin, we're never going to push him to come back. When the timing is right, he'll be 100% when he gets on the court. So, like, at this point, if he just ended the quote there, I think it's like, oh, he's not coming back. Whatever. But then, like, he, he includes this last sentence there and he says, I can tell you, though, before the pandemic, he looked like Kevin Durant, and that's a good thing. So he kind of left the door open there um, about maybe a possible... KD return if the players are if the playoffs are pushed back far enough. Um, KD's agent called it unrealistic. I think that was back in March though. Um, so you know maybe maybe not. I guess the first question is, do you think KD should come back? What should the Nets want him to come back for this playoffs um, if he's cleared? No and no, and yep. <laughs> here's why. Um, one, they're the seventh seed right now. So let's say they abruptly end the regular season and go straight into playoff basketball. They're getting the Raptors in the first round. And um, I'm not sure what Kyrie's health situation is, but I'm assuming like if, if they were to start up in June, I would assume he would not be ready to play in that. No, they said Kyrie's, Kyrie's going to be out either way, even if it's all the way at the end of summer. Kyrie 
Yeah. What, what's KD gonna? No disrespect to KD. Mm-hmm. He can he can do anything on a basketball court. But why risk yourself in a series that you're not gonna win? Flat out, KD by himself with Spencer Dinwiddie in. And don't get me wrong, the Nets have a talented uh, supporting cast, but he would need Kyrie in order to beat the Raptors in that in that series. Uh, yeah. So that's number one. Uh, but from a strictly health standpoint, um, I to go straight in the playoff basketball, which is naturally more physical, mm-hmm. um, and just obviously the intensity level is, is 10 times higher than what it would be in the regular season, and that be your first action in um, 12 months, about 12 months, happened in June of last year, so just about 12 months. No, that that's like asking for a re-injury. So from a health standpoint, I don't think that would make it would make sense to throw him back into the fire in a playoff series um, when there's going to be obvious rust, and with that rust, he's going to try to overcompensate, and that's exactly when re-injury happens. So um, he should not want to come back. The Nets should not want him to come back uh, for that reason because uh, next year is when with Kyrie and KD both fully healthy is what they should be targeting as far as competing for a championship. Um, So it doesn't matter what month the season comes back in. um, If it does come back at all, there, there should be no way, shape or form where KD returns to play, hold him out until next year, uh, get Kyrie healthy. And then going into next season, then you make your run and, that can be a scary team in the East if, uh, obviously, if the regular KD is who comes back off of the injury. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Because um, even if he comes back, like, what's realistic? What's he going to play, like 15, 20 minutes a game? Um, so at that point, it's like, well, are you even really trying to win? And if you're not really trying to win, why don't you just sit him completely? So, yeah, like, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that. I think that you're right, and they're going to do exactly what you just prescribed, which is sit out till next year. You know, if he sits out till next year, he could easily have a full 18 months um, coming off that injury. Because next season, like I said um, on the last pod, it might not start until Christmas of 2020. So he's he could have a complete 18 months. Uh, if I were him, I would just sit out. Kyrie's not coming back. Um, you look at the team; it's like, all right, this is this would probably be the five. You have Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and then you have Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan um, at the five. So, like, they're probably not going to beat the Raptors. But even if they did, if somehow Durant's only playing 15, 20 minutes a game and they still beat the Raptors, um, and then, you know, they're not going to beat the Celtics or the Bucks. I just don't see it. I just don't see the need for it. I don't see really any bright spot in that i don't see what anybody gets out of it i don't see what the nets get out of it i don't see what you know the nets what they get out of it is a slim chance at something but you know for durant i don't think it makes any sense at all i can't see why he would want to sign up for that so yeah i'm with you i think that they shouldn't um i think that it just be a waste of time so let's move on then um our next topic we want to talk about NCAA has changed some of their rules um, regarding players' ability to make money off of their likeness, image, endorsements, things like that. Um, So this will probably go into effect in fall of 2021. So starting with 2021 football season, players will now players will be allowed to make money off of likeness and and things of that sort. Um, 
with that, um, you know, people wonder if that's kind of a backlash to what's happened um, with the G League. The last couple weeks have seen the G League see Jalen Green, who was the top shooting guard in his class. Um, he had offers from Memphis, Auburn, Oregon, potential number one pick in next year's NBA draft. He decided to go to the NBA G Development One Year Program, is what it's called. Uh, it's a $500,000 salary. Uh, it also includes some benefits like life skills, um, things like that. It's not actually a G League team. Um, however, it's going to play against probably 10 to 12 games against G League teams, but they're not going to count towards the G League standings or anything. Right. Uh, so it's more of a developmental thing. It's actually not really playing in the G League. Um, so Jalen Green went, and then we also saw Isaiah Todd go, who was committed to Michigan. He backed out of that commitment. He's the number 13 player in the ESPN's top 100. He backed out from that commitment to Michigan, and he committed to the G League as well. So they're going to play on that same team in, in that, that developmental team in Southern California. It's probably going to be made up of four or five top recruits like these guys and then maybe some G League vets uh, who are going to help them navigate uh, becoming a professional basketball player. So there's a lot to unpack here with this. Um, go ahead and, and, and give me your thoughts uh, first, and then I'll piggyback off of you. I'm interested to hear what you think being a former college basketball player. So, um, honestly, I think this is too little too late by the NCAA. Um, and honestly, had they done this three to five years ago, uh, the G League development pro program probably wouldn't even exist. Uh, and I think college basketball would be in its best uh, standing as, you know, ever, because uh, recruits would still want to go. Uh, to would still want to go play college basketball and be on you know national have their games on national TV, you know be a part of you know those blue blood programs and things like that. Um, you know I think a lot of kids did truly want to do that, but now when you factor in what the G League is offering, how is what the NCA is now allowing players to do? Uh, truly a benefit for someone who doesn't want to be in college and doesn't want to go to class. You know what I mean? Like the doesn't want to be a student athlete. For me, you know, if I was the if I was the number one recruit and my priority was getting to the NBA as fast as possible um, and in the best in in the you know best way possible, the G League still looks like the best option to me. One and five hundred k five hundred k salary. Um, is, is way more probably than what I made, you know, or, or even close to what I might make off endorsements unless um, Zion Williamson uh, might make more off endorsements than that. But yeah, so that's uh, actually, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Like if you're a top, if you're the number one, if you're Zion, I think it still benefits you to go to college. I think Zion probably just from going to Duke, I mean, he probably earned himself in future earnings of endorsements and things just from being at Duke and being on national TV as much as he was. I mean, you could argue he, he, he made himself future earnings of upwards of like 50 million just from that. Uh, so if you're a top guy, I agree. But sorry, finish your uh, point there. Sorry. But yeah, but like Jalen Green, as as good as he is, um, if if you guys have ever seen him play, the kid's talented, very talented, but he's not box office like Zion uh, Williamson was coming out of high school. So, uh, you know, that's, I, for me, the G League seems to be the better option than what college basketball would have been for him. 
especially if, you know, again, he's a person that doesn't necessarily want to be a student athlete. Um, but with this program, you get MBA developmental training. Uh, so your, your foot's kind of in the door already. You're going to get better training there than what you would get, um, you know, at a college program because right. the two play styles are still se- severely different, uh, the college basketball game and the NBA game. Uh, so college coaches obviously coach you to play college basketball, whereas now he's going to be learning how to play NBA basketball in the G League um, while also being paid. And he can still make money off endorsements that, um, you know, and, and off of his likeness and things like that while he's in the G League. So he still has that advantage. So um, now will he get the national coverage that uh, he was getting previously? No. But still it's still to me the g league seems like the better route um for top recruits who are not box office um so obviously this was a response by the ncaa to try to still get those box office recruits um to try to save their sports um i think they're going to have to do a little bit more um and this was a this was a good start um but as at this point in time it's still a little too little too late um and i think they will still see I think they will still see players uh, move to the G League rather than going to play at these college programs. Um, But I think this will this will absolutely lessen the impact that that the G League was going to have had they done nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And from a NBA perspective, you know, the first thing really when I heard that they that they were going to be given five hundred thousand to G League players and all this stuff really to play non-televised games, 10, 12 games a year. Um, you know, you, the thought was, does this make sense for the NBA to do? Like, just from a financial perspective, why are you giving these kids $500,000? They're not going to make you that money. Um, you know, these, you know, G League, I don't know if you've ever seen a G League game. That there's about 15 people in the gym and there's scouts. Like, I just don't think that it makes sense for the NBA. But, you know, when you – look at the reasons why they do it the the g league president kind of like came out and said you know it's not that we're trying to lure these guys away from college basketball we're trying to get these guys away from going to australia or china or europe we don't want these guys going overseas and playing because they feel like they won't fit in or or that they don't want to do college basketball or they want to get paid right right away um you know I think last year they had bumped it up the salary to like one hundred twenty-five thousand, and mm-hmm. they just realized, you know, Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton go to Australia. They realized that that's just not enough to compete. Uh, so this year they bump it up to to five hundred thousand, and it makes sense. I mean, you don't want to be sending your scouts all over the world to find these guys. You want to keep American players in America, um, and if they don't want to go to college, it's better to have a system where you can just start developing them at the G League level rather than them going overseas uh, and going over there. Because even like, too, you look at the guys who have chosen that route, going overseas rather than... Because so from like 95 to 2005, you could go straight to the NBA from high school. Um, But, and I will say too, like college basketball did fine during those years. But 2005, you know, they institute the one and done type rules. So we've had some guys, these are the guys that have chosen to go overseas um, instead of college. Uh, so you got RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball are the two big ones from last year. Um, Brandon Jennings was really like the first guy to do this back in 2008. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I was a top guy. I don't know if Brandon Jennings is the type of career that I would plan for myself. Jeremy yeah. Tyler was another one. So feel free to Google Jeremy Tyler. I didn't know who he was either. <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel Moutier and Terrace Ferguson, who have had, I guess, okay careers, but definitely Can't haven't lived up to right? expectations that we had for them coming out of high school. Um, so, you know, it's not really enough. You only have, what, six players there. So you really don't have enough data to say, is this a good idea to go overseas or is it a good idea not to play college basketball? Um, but the NBA the NBA was saying, we want to keep our players in the USA. Yep. Um, you know, back in February, they had proposed lowering the draft age to 18. And I think everyone was under the assumption that that was just going to happen. But that actually hasn't been passed yet. So, you know, until they do that, we're still going to have, you know, maybe this is their idea. Maybe this is what they're going to do instead of lowering the draft age. Maybe right. that's not going to happen anymore. I don't know. Um, I hope that they end up doing that. I think that's just a better option overall. Um, but, you know, you still have this issue of, okay, now from a college basketball perspective, you already have the overseas issue. Now you have the G League coming in. They're fighting that issue. They're not fighting the issue of top guys don't want to go play college basketball. Do you think the NCAA, you think college basketball is in trouble at all with this? Do you think this hurts hurts them or you think that they'll make it through this pretty much fine? Um, well, I, I think it is. It's going to hurt them as far as getting top like elite level recruits. Um, Cause I, I do think you'll probably see three to five uh, guys every year take the G league route uh, because the money is the, the consistent, you know, salary and money is more important to them than playing college basketball. However, what I think it could, um, in a way, help college basketball is where you see more like guys staying for two to four years um, and getting more notoriety. Like, for example, you know, you bring back guys like, um, you know, or the, the stars of college basketball may go back to being, you know, Tyler Hansboroughs and things and J.J. Reddicks and White things guys. like that. Yeah, well, not necessarily, <laughs> but like four, four year guys. Those were just the first two that came to my mind. Right, right, right. Um, but, but, you know, guys who have been a part of that program for a long time. I think there's something to be said uh, about the popularity of those guys at those universities. Uh, you know, who, regardless of what happened to them at the next level, they're always cemented as, you know, Tar Heel or Duke legends mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I think those kind of guys would actually benefit the most from this. The guys who aren't one and dones um, would benefit the most and actually end up, uh, instead of staying in college, ruining your draft stock, it may go back to helping it. Um, in, in that sense, because there were guys like four year players used to get drafted three juniors and sophomores still used right. to get drafted in the first round. And that's almost like a rarity now. Right. It's like the longer you stay in college, the more your draft stock plummets. And like, if you really think about it, the only person that um, staying in college has benefited their uh, draft stock was John Moran, who wasn't yeah. he was not a top two pick his freshman year. But after his sophomore year, he was. Uh, so I think what this does is, so you, you take a Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, and I think Dacian Nix also just committed to go play in the G League too. 
I think he was the third one that just came in a couple of weeks ago. So, but like you take like top level recruits like that and you kind of filter them out, what it then elevates for the guys that are after them coming into college basketball. Now they're the stars of it. And now they have the opportunity on a national stage to show how good they really are without being overshadowed by a Jalen Green because everybody's going to watch his games, you know, uh, or all the national TV coverages of his games because he's the projected number one pick. Um, so I think for college basketball, um, that could be a benefit for them. Plus, it doesn't quite feel as much like slavery when right. <laughs> you're able to, to at least profit off your own likeness. Um, it also opens the door. Um, now, Bleacher Report did run an article that it's unlikely that the video games come back, but it is a possibility now um, because those players can make the money off their likeness. Now, the only issue is uh, apparently since they're not unionized, uh, there's an issue with how exactly you would pay them. Um, but I, I if we can get those video games, we need them. That would be, I think that yeah. would be huge. Oh, yeah. I think the NCAA should do whatever they can to try to get those video games back because I think uh, college sports was at its peak when you know people were out. The video games always elevate the actual sport itself, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, so if they could get those back, find a way to, um, you know, collectively bargain or do whatever they have to do really to, to try to get the games back, it isn't going to happen soon. It might take three to five years. Um, but if they can find a way, I think it would be huge. Yeah, I think that would be, first of all, just awesome if we can get the March Madness and the college football um, game back. Obviously, yeah. those are classics. That's from our childhood, though. But, yeah, yeah like yeah. even like <laughs> staying – like. You know, regarding the conversation of is this gonna kill college basketball? I think no way. Like, no. I think honestly, it could help college basketball. I think the one and done has been a disaster for the NCAA, especially I do too. College basketball, like you know, like I just don't think that it helps teams. Like, and like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like I'm a Pitt fan, so like I'm always gonna cheer for Pitt, and like Pitt doesn't get the one and done guys, so I don't really like. It doesn't really matter, like, who's on the team. Like, I'm right. always going to cheer for Pitt. Or, like, I think, like, most college teams are that way. There's only really a handful of, like, blockbuster stars. Yeah. But, like, even if those guys, you know, if they can profit off their likeness, then they might be more willing to stay. Because I think, you know, if I'm if I'm Zion, so, like, Zion's a tough one because he's so popular. But let's just say, like, you're Zion and your option is you can make – Zero dollars in salary playing at Duke, but you can you can profit off your third party endorsements and your likeness, or you can play in the G League and make five hundred thousand cash and profit off your likeness and third party endorsements. I think I'd go to college because I think yeah. that being at Duke is just worth way more than playing in the G League. I'm never going to be on TV. I mean, it's cool now yeah. because like with Twitter and things. We can we can still kind of follow, and that's what's made things better for the Australian League with Lamelo Ball. We still see all the highlights, but it's just mm-hmm. not the same as being on national TV twice a week. Because uh, like college games, I mean ESPN shows. I can't even tell you thousands of college games in a season. It feels like I feel like it's worth it to still go to school. And I'm glad that they introduced a rule where players can stay at school. You know, like I'm always going to be a fan of college basketball. I hope it doesn't ever die because you know that would just be, you know, that's sad because it's history and you you hope that it it can figure out a way. Maybe eventually they'll start paying the players themselves. 
you know, it seems like it's asking for a lot. You know, they, it took them this, this long to bend on letting them do their own thing. So, yeah, you know, we know how they are. So, yeah. And, and I thought that was such a simple solution, right. um, but to piggyback, uh, before we move on to piggyback off of that as well. Um, and where another way it could benefit college basketball is when you think about it, especially for like new fans. So like you're a pit fan, I'm a UNC fan and I've all, but I've always been one. Right. So, you know, I got four years of Wayne or three years of Wayne Ellington and Ty Lawson, four years of Tyler Hansborough. You know what I mean? I grew attachments to like the players that grew, that were Tar Heels in that era because they were there for multiple years. Mm-hmm. Well, like, how do you, if you're, if I'm a new college basketball fan, I don't have a favorite team. For example, our guest host from our first episode, Sean, right. uh, is, has never been a big basketball college basketball fan. He's trying to get into it and he's looking for a team. And like Duke was like, I guess the team that he was trying to become a fan of, oh, no. uh, which I, I don't, which I don't recommend for anyone right. uh, on the record. Um, but how do you get attached to Duke when Zion, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish leave after one year? Exactly. Uh, and then the next group comes in. Vernon Carey is going after a year. Um, Stanley's going to be leaving. When no more juniors, probably going to leave. Trey Jones after his second year is going to leave. You know what I mean? So, like, how do you get attached to that kind of a team? And then you don't really pay attention to high school basketball and the recruits coming in. You have you have no idea about that. So you can't really get hyped about recruiting because you don't follow that. Right. So, but if, if more kids are going to the G League as they're one and done instead of NCAA, now maybe, you know, Trey Jones, who was there for two years, um, maybe he stays three or four, you know, or the next recruits, maybe Cassie Stanley, instead of staying for one, stays for a second, maybe yeah. a third. You know what I mean? I think getting longer-term players in college basketball will help grow the fan base and yeah. bring it back to where it was. Because uh, college basketball was great. I, I think one and done has been a disaster. I agree with you. I think it was at its peak before that where – you know, you were getting guys who truly wanted to be in college, and that's why they were staying so long because they weren't worried about their draft stock. They wanted to play for those universities, uh, which I think it has the ability to to get back to that now that there's alternative options for kids who don't want to be there. Yeah, and it kind of like feeds off itself too because the longer I'm at one school, the more fans I'm going to have that school, the more I can profit off that likeness and image. Especially if exactly. I'm a guy who's not going to be an NBA superstar, um, right? But, but I am a superstar at this college. In I'm college, at. exactly yes, right. You think about all the guys who you know, like think of a guy like um, the Michigan State point guard Cassius Stanley, right? Is it Cassius Stanley mm-hmm. or he's at Duke? Cassius Winston. Yep. Um, yeah, Winston. Cassius yeah, yeah, Winston. Yeah, yeah. I always get them too confused. But you know, like him at Michigan State, like he's not going to be like an NBA superstar. He might get drafted, but. You know, at Michigan State, he's the biggest thing there. He could be making way more money uh, if he was able to stay at school longer. Um, so right. I think that it has a real chance to work out for both NCAA and um, the NBA. So hopefully that would be a great balance. Okay. I would love to see college basketball just propped back up to where it was um, back in those glory days like you were talking about before the one and done. And I think it will. Um, so – Anything else on the college stuff? We'll, we'll play our little game here. Yeah, let's uh, let's get moving on. I think that was a good discussion. Yeah, for sure, man. So um, we're going to play start one, bench one, cut one. Um, we got three point guards. Probably I think most people would call them the three best point guards ever. Uh, Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, Isaiah Thomas. Um, 
So start one is your top guy. Bench one is your second guy. Cut one is your third guy. You want to go first? You want me to go? You go ahead. Okay. Okay. I'll go. So let's, how about this? We'll go, we'll say who we'll start. We'll say who we'll bench and then we'll say who we'll cut. How about that? We can talk. Yeah, about let's that. do that. Okay. So I'll start. I'm actually, let's do it backwards. We'll do cut first. Okay. Okay. So yep, sounds good. I'll, I will cut Isaiah. That's a tough one. It's so hard to say that, but <laughs> so like, let's just talk about the good stuff about Isaiah though. 19 points a game, nine assists. Um, he averaged 20 and 10 assists and 84, 85, 86, two championships was always fighting the Celtics. Probably his best years of his career were played when he was losing to the Celtics. Um, and then eventually he did get over the hump, but I mean, he won those two championships and then he was out of the league three years later. Uh, and he played at a high level for two of those years. And then he kind of had a, one really bad, it was injuries and, uh, wasn't the same, and then he just left. Um, so I got Isaiah as cut third on that list. I am going to agree, yeah. and it really, it really hurt me to cut Isaiah Thomas because I absolutely love Isaiah Thomas. Always loved his game. Um, I love the fact that he was like one of the few superstars that wasn't kissing Jordan's butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I I've always admired Isaiah Thomas, but. Um, of the three guys on this list, um, he does not quite have the resume of the other two. So I did, yeah. unfortunately, cut Isaiah. Thomas. Yeah, and the old guys probably don't like to hear that. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, here's the thing: like, career from three, twenty nine percent. That's yeah. tough. Like, if you know, and the thing is too, like, I get it. If they were, if they knew what the game was like today, like, if that was, if it was as important as it is now. They would practice that shot a lot more. I don't think that right. if he was in this era, he'd be a 29% three-point shooter. But like one right. season, he was as low as like 19% from threes. Like, ah, uh, that's tough. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think that he was a great player. Definitely probably the third, in my opinion, third best point guard ever. If you have him second, I'm fine with that. Um, so, okay. So we both got Isaiah for cut. Bench. Right. I put Steph on the bench. So, Steph, uh, just unbelievable. 34 minutes a game for the career, 23.5 points, 6.5 assists, uh, PER 23.8. Career, he's 47 from the field, 43.5 from three, and 91% from the line. Um, you know, nearly a career 50, 40, 90 yeah. guy. That's just absurd for a career. In 15-16 was probably his best season, one of the best seasons we've ever seen. That year he was 50 from the field, 45 from three, and 90 from the free throw line. He did it on 20 shots a game too. So like 50-40-90 is like the club. But like if you do 50-45-90, which is what he did that year, that's only been done by him that year. Steve Kerr in 96, but it was only on six shots a game. And Steve Nash in 08 on 12 shots a game, which is super yeah. impressive. Though. Um, so 50, 45, 90, just absurd. He was the only 50, 40, 90 guy to ever aver- to average 30 in the season he did the 50, 40, 90. Um, three championships. The thing about Steph, too, like the thing that, like my argument for Steph, like 
whenever people don't like Steph. And I, whatever, like, I'm a Steph fan. So, but, and so are you. But the thing, too, like, is, like, all right, when Steph is in there, they're freaking yeah. awesome. It doesn't matter who else is out. Clay goes out. They're still awesome. Draymond goes out. They're still awesome. Durant goes out. They're still, like, awesome. Like, he's the guy that makes it all go. It's all, It's pretty much all him. Like, even, like, when he went out and they still had KD, like, you remember seeing all the stats about how they weren't as good and, you know, there was all kinds of questions about it. But, you know, it was clear. He's the guy that made them go. I think that he's not done yet either. That's another thing to factor in when you're comparing him and Isaiah, especially, like, I don't think Steph's done. Um, but I had him bench, which means I have Magic at starting. Who do you have? Uh, I also benched Curry, um, which oh, okay. so which went same. against every fiber of my being. Uh, as a as a Curry, I, say, that's as a Curry I thought fan. you'd have him. I thought you'd have him starting. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah, I did have him on the bench. Um, when you look at Curry's resume um, with the 50-40-90 seasons, the MVPs, the rings. Uh, there's only one point guard who has a better resume uh, than what Stephen Curry has. Um, I think he, Stephen Curry is the same player regardless of what era he plays in as far as as long as there's a three-point line. So any year that he plays in from 85 or uh, whenever the – which I think is when the NBA introduced the three-point line. Any year beyond that, Steph Curry is the same player. Even before the three-point line, there was a – interesting stat um that he would he would still be one of the few players in the league to put up 15 5 and 5 or something like that back when he won mvp um unanimously uh without the three-point line he was one of few players in the league that would have still averaged 15 5 and 5 so i think that's uh that's a common misconception is that steph curry wouldn't be as good without a three-point line like i think people forget he's still one of the best ball handlers in the league uh, probably top three maybe top five in the league as far as ball handling uh yeah, I take yeah up I, I agree uh, he's still uh, a very underrated passer because he doesn't put up high assist numbers, but a lot of the passes that he makes set the extra pass up. He gets, you know, or what people call pass to assist uh, or hockey assist. So, you know what I mean? Those, a lot of those, those don't show up on stat sheets, uh, but they're crucial as far as ball movement and success to the flow of an offense. Um, also, when you factor in his finishing ability for someone who's 6'3 and not very athletic, for compared to the NBA point guards now, uh, he's one of the best finishers in the game as far as his percentage shooting in the paint, uh, which I think is another underrated part of his game. So uh, when you look at his individual skill set along with his accomplishments, um, it does put him over Zeke for me. Um, and uh, just below, I did have Magic starting. And um, the reason I have Magic starting is because he's the one player who is dominant whatever era you're putting him in. He would be dominant in today's era as a 6'9 point guard. He'd be the better version of Ben Simmons right now. Uh, in his era, obviously, he was what he was, uh, the, the best player in the league until uh, Michael Jordan um, came up into his prime. Uh, he's, right. he's not selfish with his assists. So like he was a guy who averaged double digit assists for his career, but it wasn't like the assist hunting like you might see with a Westbrook, Chris Paul, 
or Rondo. James yeah, James Harden, right. uh, or even Rondo at certain points of his career was was kind of assist hunting late with the Celtics and stuff like that. Uh, it's more of him getting out on the break and pushing the tempo and making the right read and finding the right guy or in the half court guy cutting off the ball and him making the right pass. Like he, he did it without dominating the ball, um, which is rare. Mm-hmm. You see a guy getting 10 assists without completely having the ball in his hands for the entire shot clock um, nowadays. So, uh, and he can defend multiple positions, which would be highly valued in today's NBA, uh, prime Magic Johnson at least. So I think, um, I, that it's why I had him first. Obviously, as the most rings, most Finals MVPs, I believe most league MVPs out of the group, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he was the obvious start for me. Yeah, he's a starter for me too. And on on Steph too, real quick. Um, the thing too, like I guess his like people say like, oh well, he doesn't play defense. Well, like I mean, he's not a great on ball defender, but he's not like a. It's tough when you're a smaller right. guy too like it's hard to play on ball defense but you know he's also just like so smart his basketball iq is so high and yeah like he'll take the occasional bat three but if you were as good as he was at him you'd take a lot more bat threes you know what i mean so like yeah, his basketball iq is just so high um him and kerr just fit like a glove and with clay it just it's perfect i had him uh second to magic so just talking about magic though um so for his career, he averaged 37 minutes a game, which is just, you know, it's pretty crazy. 19 and a half points, 11 assists. He averaged, he grabbed seven rebounds a game. He's a 6'9 point guard. Um, and, you know, this is the difference between him and Ben Simmons, too. He shoots 85% from the free throw line for his career. Um, but, you know, like, Magic, he wins five championships. He has this great career. Um, and then in, I mean, in he had 12 years in, 1990 to 91 is when they lose to Detroit in the finals. So this was his last year. And then he makes uh, the announcement about the AIDS and he takes four years off. Um, But in that 90-91 finals loss to Detroit that year, he was playing 43 and a half minutes per game in the playoffs, averaging 22, 12 and a half and eight. And that was before he left the league for four years. So you know, you got to think he would have had multiple more seasons of just greatness yeah. that we would have seen. Maybe another championship, probably not, but it's possible. You know, he's still a great player. And then he takes four years off. He comes back in 1995-96, and he's playing 30 minutes a game. He averages 15, 7, and 6. They make the playoffs. They weren't very good, though. Um, and then that leads them to drafting Kobe Bryant. And, you know, the rest is history. So Magic is the guy, no doubt. Uh, five championships he's he's the goat he's the goat point guard so you know like interesting enough though i was um i was on basketball reference and i was comparing these three guys um like just statistics and everything and just for fun i I threw in a fourth guy and this guy his numbers fit in like a glove with these three maybe some of them are even better And, and his name is chris paul yeah you know, he, he's right there, too, when you're talking about the best point cards ever. If you just looked at the numbers and, and didn't say this many championships and you hid the names, I think people would be surprised um, with the career he's had. Definitely one of the best ever. Yeah, I think Chris Paul um, has had one of the more unfortunate, like, playoff careers with his injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and things like that. And he kind of can be a ball stopper at times, which I mean, practically every superstar, ex- I would say, with the exception of Curry and like Clay Thompson, is a mm-hmm. is a ball stopper at some point. Um, but he never, if you really look at his teams, like how many teams did he actually play on now, where you looked at it and said. Uh, this team can truly win a championship. Uh, the one opportunity that I think he would have had was the Lakers trade that was famously vetoed. Probably would have been his best yeah. opportunity um, because he wouldn't have had to be so ball dominant uh, with you know a Kobe right. Bryant there. And, but and at times he would still actually be able to be himself. Um, so I, 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 I yeah. Well, the Rockets team, the the one Rockets team when they they took Golden State to seven and he didn't play. Oh yeah, and he got hurt um, in Game Seven and. It, and he got hurt, and they shot like oh of twenty seven from yep. three. I guess that was a chance, yeah. but you know they shot him twenty seven from three, and he wasn't. You know he, that's not prime Chris. Right, Murray. exactly. And he was playing, you know, primarily off the ball with Harden Drummond. Exactly. So like by the time he actually got on a team that, um, in in some people might have thought could. Um, contend. I didn't ever. I still didn't think they would get over the Warriors, but they had a chance. They clearly did. Um, yeah. And and then he gets hurt, you know. And then the next year they get another chance, and and KD gets hurt, and it looks like in, in Game Five, like game they could have went up three two, and then went back home to close it out in Game Six, and um, you know uh, he just James Harden and himself were just not good enough uh, in that series. I think so. It's just like. You know, when you look at Chris Paul's like playoff career, he's he's always either hurt or at this point he's like really out of his prime. He's kind of revived himself uh, in OKC, and I actually watched um, an episode of he was on all the smoke with uh, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson talking about all the dietary and, and fitness changes that he's made, and he's he went vegetarian, yeah, right? he, uh, yeah, like vegetarian or vegan or something like that. I know that. People take that very seriously. <laughs> um, right, right, right. Be yeah. So that. he, um, he, yeah, he, he, like went with, you know, on that kind of diet. Took his fitness much more seriously because if you really look at the difference between um, his build with the last year with the Rockets and this year, he looks like a completely different person. He looks way more in shape. We saw him catch a dunk in the oh, All Star yeah. game. Uh, you know, so he and he and he clearly on the floor, he had OKC playing well when not many people expected oh, yeah. that. Um, so, you know, imagine if he if he had done that um, a couple of years ago and really took better care of himself. Uh, I think that could have done yeah. wonders for his health later in the season and also like his, you know, the shape that he's in when it comes down to those crunch time games. Um, hopefully this will help him extend his career out um, and we can really see. Um, what kind of longevity he'll end up having, but he cerebral. Um, I'm sorry, he's one of the most cerebral uh, point guards the game has ever seen. Right. Uh, defensively, yeah. one of the best point guards that we've ever seen, um, and there's absolutely something to be said about that. He's he's top five all time in my book without a ring. Um, he he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he had a legitimate case. This year, he—I mean—he could end up on third-team All NBA. That's not out of the question. No, yeah, uh, for him. Yeah, he had that good of a year. Um, but all right, man. Well, I think that's all we got today. Um, this was fun. Uh, second episode in the books. Now uh, we're gonna be back. Uh, we decided we're gonna be releasing pods every Monday and Thursday. So we're gonna be recording them um, on Sunday and Wednesday night, and then getting them out to you guys. And then, you know, if something happens or, or we feel like doing a third bonus pot in the week, we'll do that. Um, looking to have some guests on soon. Um, 
But this was fun. What'd you think about the second episode? I thought it was great, man. Um, you know, I just want to say uh, to everyone who listened to our debut episode, thank you so much for the support. Um, we appreciate you guys. And a lot of people um, were also very engaged and active on social media. So we want to thank you guys for that as well. Um, your support is everything. Um, you know, when it comes to doing these podcasts uh, and things like that, you know, where we get to come on here and voice our opinions about topics and to just know, you know, people are out there listening is awesome. So thank you guys. Yeah, so cool. And, you know, to see uh, the people that have engaged with us about the first episode, people who have uh, sent us nice texts and everything saying it was good. Uh, we love that. Please, you know, like, rate, subscribe, do all that. If you have the time, if you feel like it was a good podcast, share it on social media if you if you have a chance to just do a retweet it goes it goes a longer way than you would know you know um but we appreciate it for sure keep interacting with us let us know your thoughts about everything we're doing uh retweet our polls and and vote in those we're, we're happy to hear from you and we're anxious to hear from you about uh episodes going forward so with that we're going to wrap this one up Thanks again, guys, for listening so much. This is the All In Podcast, available Apple, Spotify, wherever you really get your podcasts. Um, Like, rate, subscribe. We appreciate you guys. All right, be good out there. See you guys.